are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Aren't you glad to worship together? We're in a series called Healing Conversations. We're following as a guide a book written by my friend Dave Roberts. We're in chapter 8 today. And we're talking about a pretty important topic, and the topic is trust. So you may walk into the room or you may tune in this morning and say, really, do we need to spend this much time talking about trust today? Well, I think I'm going to let you answer the question. So I'm going to ask you, do you believe that trust is a critical issue in our society today? You do? Let me ask you in a more personal way. Are there people in your world today, or are there entities in your world today that you would say, Pastor Rick, I just don't trust them? So let me start with some low-hanging fruit, okay? How many of you would say, Pastor Rick, there are some news outlets that I just do not trust? Just raise your hand if you're in the room. If you're online, would you enter into the chat? I think everybody's in agreement. We'll continue with low-hanging fruit, okay? How many of you would say, there are many politicians I just do not trust? That was an easy one, wasn't it? How many of you would say, there are many things that I read on the internet that I just do not trust? So I think we're all together. So you might say, what do you mean when you talk about trust? Let me, let me share a definition or two with you. I think it could be helpful in our conversation, okay? So this is from the Oxford English Dictionary. And here's what the definition would be. It's the firm belief and the reliability or the truth or the ability or the strength of someone or something. So we're going to start with something. And the something that we're going to start with is that stool right there. Our brains are amazing computers. As I begin to walk toward this stool, do you know what my brain actually does? It assesses whether or not that I believe this stool is reliable and dependable and can hold me up. And so my brain has told me that it is. Now, there's been many times that I've been tired and wanted to sit down and maybe I was going to sit on something. And as I moved toward it, I said, no, yeah, I don't think I'm going to trust that. But what happens is we assess things and we say, is this reliable? Is this dependable? Can I trust this thing? We do the same thing in relationships with one another. We are constantly making assessments of whether or not people around us are trustworthy. And we constantly find ourselves asking the question, can I trust this person? Let me give you a second definition that focuses more on that, the someone, okay? And it comes from the Cambridge Dictionary, and it says, trust is to believe that someone is good and honest and will not harm you. And so you and I live our lives every day. Interacting with people, and as we interact with people, we're completely on this path of assessment. And we're asking ourselves, is this person good? Is this person honest? Do I believe that this person will not hurt me? It's the way we live our lives. So I think one of the questions we have to ask is, what causes a person to earn our trust? 
Another question that is equally as good is what causes a person to lose our trust? Why do we trust some people and not trust others? So we spent this entire time last week talking about words and how important the words are that we speak. But we know that trust has to do with more than words. One of the reasons we don't trust some people is because they're using too many words trying to get us to trust them. And so here's what I think will help us this morning if we focus here together before we move to God's Word. Healing conversations is what we're talking about, right? They're about more than our words. Not saying our words aren't important. Our words are very important. But they're about more than words. Healing conversations are about the actions behind our words. Healing conversations are built on trust. And so what we constantly find ourselves asking is simply this. Does this person's word align with their actions? Because healing conversations are more about more than just words. They're about the actions behind our words. They are built on trust. So why don't you do this with me? Why don't you take a moment and open your Bible with me to James chapter 2. Okay, James 2, and let's start reading with verse 14. Last week I told you that James is a no-nonsense, gets straight to the point, cut to the chase, what's the bottom line kind of thinker. And typically when you open the book of James, he does not disappoint. That's what we get from him. And so that's what we're going to get again today, okay? James chapter 2, verse 14. He begins by asking a question, and here's the question that he asks. So let me ask you guys, what, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone claims, now other version says, um, if someone says... So this is a statement somebody is making. This is something someone is saying about themselves, okay? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So, James, what are you trying to say? What are you getting at? And he says, well, I'll give you an example. But for James, if you read the rest of the book, it's more than an example. Poverty is very close to his heart, and how we care for people is close to his heart. So he says, well, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. So this is dire, right? This is about survival. You don't have clothing and daily food. Survival is at stake here. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, keep well fed... James says, but does nothing about their physical needs. Well, what good is that? And then he says, I'll tell you what good it is. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's of no value. It's worthless. It's of no good. But someone will say, well, you have faith and and I have deeds. And here's what James says. Show me your faith without your deeds and I will show you My faith by my deeds. And so I'm anxious to take some time this morning and dive into this passage of Scripture with you. And see what God wants to say to all of us through it. James is living in a world where people are making empty affirmations about faith. But it doesn't affect the way they live their lives at all. And James is saying that kind of faith is of no value. 
So remember with me, if you will, several years ago, um, I remember being asked to consider some ministry that was happening in a community just two miles of here, north of here, called Two Lakes. And, and I remember driving one day with a man whose name is Thaddeus Black, who now pastors a church in that community, down to the pantry, and we sat in the parking lot, and I said, Thaddeus, I wonder if God might be wanting to use you in the ministry to this community. Thaddeus began ministering in that community. And so today, what we have in that community is, is pretty exciting. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but every week there is a food pantry that is open in that community to help feed people and help deal with the issue of a need for food. And so it's pretty awesome. I got to be there not long ago. I got to be in the food pantry while clients were coming in and shopping. And what they do is they get a grocery cart and based on how many people in their house, they pull off the shelf whatever they think would be good for their home and they put it in their cart and they check out before they leave. It's awesome. They don't have to pay for any of the food. On Saturdays, we have a free medical clinic that's open. Volunteer doctors, volunteer nurses, volunteer PAs, Volunteer receptionists are there, and they meet the physical needs to the best of their ability with the people in that community. The people don't have to pay anything for the care. It's absolutely incredible what's taking place. Many times people are prayed with as they're also given care medically. And those people are grateful for what God is doing through that free medical clinic in that community. And so on a given Saturday, 30 or so people will come in, see a doctor or a PA or a nurse, and get medical help. There are life skill classes beginning to be taught in the community. There's also a church that now exists serving that community, Two Lakes Community Church. Thaddeus is the pastor. Because of COVID, we're not able to be in the community right now, in the school, because the school is not opened right now to us. And so they are worshiping just across the way here in our Floyd Center. A bus and vans run every Sunday bringing people back and forth. We are anxious to get back to the community. Here's what we believe. We believe that these are our neighbors. And like us, our neighbors are created in the image of God. Regardless of their social standing, their economic condition, or the color of their skin, we are all the same. And we believe that God calls us to address the social, the economic, the physical, and the spiritual needs of the people who live in the margins in our world today. Now suppose I said to you, instead of doing what we're doing in the community, hey, I've become aware that there's a community down here called Two Lakes. Many of the people in that community are living in the margins. I want you to kind of form a parade with me of four or five cars. Let's roll down our windows and let's drive through. And as we drive through, let's just wave and say, be warm, be well fed, everybody. Be warm, be well fed, blessings. And we just rolled up our windows and kept driving. You'd be like, well, what good would that do? And James says, exactly. That would do no good for anybody. It wouldn't help at all. It would be of no value. It would be of no benefit. And then he goes on to say, just like faith without deeds is of no value and no benefit and does no good for anybody. To claim that you are a person of faith... 
but yet it does not get expressed in the way that you live your life and the way that you treat people, the way that you care for people, the way that you have conversations with people, that faith is of no value whatsoever. See, think with me. I mean, if if you met somebody and they said, hey, oh, I, you're, you're a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in God. Oh, I love the Lord. Well, yeah, I, I believe Jesus is God's anointed. I, I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Yes, absolutely. All of that. Yeah, I'm a person of great faith. But it really doesn't affect the way that I live my life. It really doesn't affect the way that I behave. It doesn't affect the way I spend my money or my time. It doesn't affect the way that I talk to people or engage in conversations. It doesn't affect the way that I care for other people's needs or become concerned about people who are hurting. In fact, it has no effect on me whatsoever. You would say, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not really faith. And what James is trying to say to us is there has to be a relationship between what we say we believe and how we live our daily lives. Wait, 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 wait. I thought we were saved by grace through faith, not not, not by works. It's not what James is saying either. We are saved by faith through grace, not by works. James is simply saying that once we have entered into a faith-saving relationship with Jesus, our hearts are changed, and what flows out of our hearts is love and compassion. Salvation by faith results in a holy life. So there has to be a relationship between what we say we believe and how we live our lives. What what are you trying to say, Rick? Here's what I'm trying to say. How we live our lives is more important than what we say. So you're saying what we say is not important. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. We spent a whole week last week saying it's important. It's just that you and I know words can be very cheap. What we do and how we live and how we behave and how we treat people is more important than what we say. Because our actions have to back up our words in order for people to trust us. So you know what we all, what we all want is relational intimacy. It's what I long for in my life. I want to look at you and I want to feel friendship. See, I want to, I want to see you and I want to feel connectedness. Um, I, w- I want to feel love from people. I want to experience loving relationships. We all are longing for relational intimacy. But if you come to the place in your life that you say of another person, I don't trust that person then you're not going to experience that intimacy and you're not going to have meaningful healing conversations. And if a person looks at you and says, I don't trust you, then there's not going to be relational intimacy and there's not going to be meaningful healing conversations. So I'm just going to throw this in as a bonus, okay? This is extra, all right? You ready? 
That means I didn't think long and hard enough about what I'm going to say next, all right? Do you know what this world is doing today? They're looking at us. People in this world are looking at Christians. And they're asking a question. And the question they're asking is simply this. Are they really who they say they are? Do they do what they say? Can you trust them? Are they reliable? Are Christians really different than everybody else? Or are Christians just like everybody else? I believe those are the questions the world is asking us today. And sometimes as a Christian, I feel a little bit slighted. And sometimes I feel a little bit judged. And sometimes I feel a bit accused. And, and, and I think my feelings are coming from the world looking at me with an eyebrow raise saying, are you really who you say you are? Are you really different than anybody else? So let's take this a step further, okay? I mentioned to you a moment ago that in the country of Swaziland, which is now called Iswatini, there is a problem. And there are many factors that contribute to this problem. But sexual abuse of young women and young girls is an issue. And so three years ago, I said to our staff, I want you to take some time to pray over the next few weeks. And then when we come back together, if God is leading you, I want you to share it with the whole group. What is God asking you to focus on in your ministry as you move into the next year and the next year? And so Barbie Moore, who oversees our world mission department, came to a meeting and said, I believe that God is calling me to do more than we're doing about vulnerable young women and girls in the country of Eswatini. I don't know what it means, but I feel like we have to focus there. It was at that time that Doug and Margaret Eaton agreed to become our on-site coordinators. And so they represent us while they live in that country and they are the on-site coordinators for all the ministry that happens there. And Doug and Margaret begin to pray about what we could do. What, what has come to fruition is now that a building is actually being built with the money that we've raised so far. And we hope to raise more money as we move toward Thursday night to finish the building. And that's why it's easy for me to say to you, would you, would you please consider at the very minimum, buying a ticket for $25, go online to our website and do that? What if, what if all 2,200 of us that are listening to the sermon today, what if all of us bought the ticket? What a difference would that make in building this building? Here's what I think happens. When Doug and Margaret went to Swaziland, I, I said to them, we should keep in touch now. And we decided that we would FaceTime most Wednesdays. So on my way back to the office after lunch, I would pull out my phone and I would FaceTime with Doug and Margaret as I drove back to the church, sitting in the parking lot usually for maybe another half hour. Most Wednesdays we FaceTime. Something began to change. I noticed that the conversations with Doug and Margaret moved from conversations about projects and programs to conversations about individual people. And so I would say, how are you doing? And they would tear up and say, we got in the car 
last night at 11 o'clock and we drove out into a village and we picked up a young girl who told an aunt about the situation she was in and the abuse she was experiencing. And we brought her back here. We're trying to figure out what in the world the next steps could be. And as they continue to live in relationships with young girls like that, they begin to say, we, we can't just not do anything. See, here's where I think that we sometimes end up. We can't save every girl in Iswatini. But I've got a favorite preacher that I love to listen to, and here's what he always says. Why don't you do for one what you wish you could do for the many? Instead of doing nothing, what if we did for one what we wish we could do for many? What? So instead of doing nothing, do for one what we wish we could do for many. And so Doug and Margaret begin to say, we could do something. And we begin to build this home. I, I think what happens as we follow Jesus, we come to a place of saying, we talk a lot about all the needs in this world, and we talk a lot about hurting people, and we talk a lot about struggles, and we talk a lot about the situations, and we talk a lot about the brokenness of our world. But I think as we truly follow Jesus, something happens at some point, and we say, I can no longer be content with my actions not aligning themselves with my words, and I've got to do more than just talk about it. And so we find ourselves in the deep mess of what we're in right now of saying, you know what, we're going to somehow raise this money and we're going to somehow find people to live in this home and we're going to somehow get this all worked out and we're going to somehow do for some what we wish we could do for every young girl that's struggling in that country. Let me make it really simple. Our actions are evidence of our faith. That's what James is saying. You know what I think faith is like in some ways? It's like wind. You can't actually see wind. But you can see the evidence of the wind when you see the trees move, right? If you look out that window today, it's Oklahoma. The wind has got to be blowing to some degree, right? I don't see the wind, but when I see a leaf move, I realize there's wind blowing. Faith is that way. Our actions become the evidence of our faith. If I look at you, I don't maybe see faith when I look at you, but when I look at your life and the actions of your life, I realize there's faith there. Let me say it one other way. What we do reveals who we are. It is our actions that reveal our hearts. And so James said, let me say it this way, I will show you my faith by my deeds. In other words, our faith is reflected in the way we live our lives. So I'm going to give you a great summary statement today, and I want you to memorize it. You're serious. Yes, I want everybody to memorize it. In fact, I want you to say it to yourself several times throughout the day and then several times throughout the week. And if you get this line, you will have the essence of this passage. Are you ready? Credited to John Maxwell, I think there's been a lot of editing over the years and a lot of people have said something similar, but we'll leave it like that, okay? Here we go. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks, okay? So say it with me. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So what I say, I mean, that talks... But what I do, 
that says something too. In fact, what I do is much louder than what I say. So you got it? You're going to memorize it? Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And if you'll just get that in your head, and if you'll just memorize it, and if you'll let that become part of your life, you will always have the essence of James 2, 14 through 16. Because you walk. And I messed it up already, see? Tried to do it and didn't get it right. Because your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Yeah. So here we are again, and I'm done. But you and I know that we always get to this point of saying, wow, I want to be trustworthy. I want my actions to align with my words. And I don't want there to be any question in the world that is watching me that that is the case, right? It always becomes an issue of our hearts. And so only God could change my heart, so I guess I'll just have a seat here until God changes my heart. Because that's where we ended up last year, last week rather. It's a heart issue. So you say, Rick, how does, how does God change our hearts we often talk about channels or means of grace, how God imparts grace to us. It's a good Wesleyan concept, how God channels grace into our life, how God imparts grace to us, how God gets grace into us to change us. And sometimes God does it because we show up at church on Sunday morning and he speaks to us through the sermon or the music or something. And so that's why we say that there's a practice that you can't not participate in. And that is the practice of worshiping with others. So important. It often becomes a channel of grace. And it's often in moments like these that we say to ourselves, there's a quickening as the Spirit speaks to us. You know what? I am not trustworthy to that person. And God moves us to change. We talk about one-on-one time with God, time in His Word and time in prayer. Just me and God together. Because we believe that becomes a means of grace. In all of these years that I've walked with the Lord, I will tell you that God most often speaks to me, most often corrects me, most often does His best work in my heart in that one-on-one time with Him. There's another time when God really gets a hold of me, and that's when I'm with a small group of other believers, and I'm investing in their life, and they're investing in mine, and we honestly look at each other, and we speak truth into each other's lives. So group life is so important. Another practice, giving, serving, sharing our faith. They become channels of grace through which God changes us. There's no shortcuts here. So, Father, let us place ourselves before you this week. And even next week, as we come back again to worship, let us find that time in the day to pray and to be in your word and to be a part of a group life, even during this unusual time. Change us. The world is watching. 
They want to know if there's really any difference in us and everybody else. Let us represent Jesus well, I pray. And let us have meaningful, healing conversations built on trust. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.